Morning, Hebron. Uh, I don't know if I can beat that. Um, let's continue it. Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you. Thank you for this opportunity uh, to preach your word. Pray that you would speak through me. Pray that you would open up the ears and eyes and hearts of everybody. Um, help us to love you better. We ask this in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated, please. All right, let me get my cheat sheets organized here. I'm not as professional as Henry, uh, but I hope you guys like what I have to say today. So my question for you guys, what is a disciple of Jesus Christ? Um, I mean, there's a lot of definitions of that, and I have, I have three things. Uh, this is my definition. First off, you have to be born again. You have to have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you've not done this, my friend, I'm sorry, but you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, and you're not a Christian. Now, many people today will say that they're Christian because they confuse that believing that God exists with believing in God. And I believe Satan exists. I believe Satan is doing his work out there. But I don't believe in Satan. Right? There's a difference there. The second thing about being a disciple is you have to work out that salvation by surrendering to his lordship, which means trying to obey, trying to learn, trying to grow in knowledge and truth. And habits like Bible study, going to church, listening to Christian music, meditation, giving, praying, they all are part of this, and they connect us to the grace of God. And through the grace of God, we're transformed more into the image of Christ. Lastly, I believe being a disciple of Jesus is obedience. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus says, go into all the world, preach my gospel to every nation. We call this the Great Commission. I believe today, people think it's the great suggestion. See, Jesus commissioned us to go and to do what he said. Tell people about me. I looked up the definition of uh, commissioned in Webster's, and it, is, it says it's an instruction, a command, a duty, or an order for a task. That's a pretty strong order from our Lord and Savior. So the title of this sermon is Missed Opportunities and Misplaced Priorities. Let me share a statistic with you I, I learned in school. Um, conservative to liberal, this statistic says 5 to 10% of born-again Christians have talked to somebody about Jesus this year. Five to ten percent of people who profess they're Christians have talked, to Je have talked to somebody about Jesus in a year. That means 90 percent of us have not said a word. Ninety percent. We talk about sports. We talk about politics. We talk about our kids. We talk about our grandkids. We don't talk to people about Jesus. Misplaced opportunities 
and misplaced priorities. And for us today as Christians, 2,000 years ago, there was another group of Christ followers who unfortunately did the same thing. They had misplaced priorities. And I say misplaced priorities because what's more important than sharing Jesus Christ with somebody so they don't go to hell? What's more important than that? I'm not trying to be harsh, but, I mean, that's biblical truth, isn't it? We get so wrapped up in our own little worlds that we don't share the best gift anyone could ever receive. So if you've been in church any length of time, you're going to know this story, Jesus and the woman at the well. But Jesus and the woman at the well are not the only two characters in this story. So let's turn to John chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, please open your Bibles. John chapter 4, it's verse 3 to 42. Now if I read all of that, we're going to be here till noon. So we're going to do some selected verses, and my eyes are awful, so I got my little scripture here. But verse, uh, John chapter 4, verses 3 to 42. Verses 3 and 4. He, being Jesus, left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Let's go down to verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. Down to verse 16. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Let's drop down to verse 25 now. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. 
So let me set the stage for you. Let me read verse 9. Verse 9 says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. In biblical times, men, Jewish men, did not talk to women in public. And if they did, maybe their wife. But they didn't talk to women in public. And Jews did not talk to Samaritans. Because the Jews believed the Samaritans were tainted that they were half-breeds. And this goes back to the Old Testament. We have to go way back to King Hosea. King Hosea was reigning in Israel, and the king of Assyria came and defeated them, and he dragged a bunch of the Jews away to Assyria. But he left some to till the land and kind of maintain what he stole. But to help them, he brought in a bunch of foreigners. And the Jews intermarried with these foreigners, which was against the Mosaic law. And they became half-breeds. Well, the Jews, when they came back and resettled, when they were freed, saw that their Jewish brethren had broke the Mosaic law and married these pagans. And they remembered that, and they considered them tainted because they disobeyed God's law. When the disciples told Jesus, or when Jesus told the disciples that they were going to travel through Samaria, the disciples had to think, seriously? You're making us go through Samaria? Because they would go around Samaria. They didn't even want to deal with them. Jesus said, we're going through Samaria. See, they remembered the indiscretion. So why did Jesus take them through Samaria? And why was Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman in the middle of the day at a well? It's a great lesson for us. Because Jesus never discriminates. Jesus never discriminates. He wants everybody to know him, and he wants everybody to be saved. He's living out the great commission that he gave the disciples in Matthew 28. He's living it out in front of them. Go into all the world, preach my gospel to every nation, let people know about me. So now we get to the other characters in this story. We got the woman, we got Jesus. What about the disciples? We learned six valuable lessons from the disciples And I promise there'll be quick six lessons, I promise. First, in verse 27, the disciples return and they completely overlook and ignore the Samaritan woman. Let's look at verse 27. It says, at this point, the disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Remember, The disciples didn't want to be in Samaria in the first place, let alone come back and find their master talking with one of them. Their silence towards this woman and towards Jesus speaks volumes. It's almost like they didn't want to prolong their stay. This woman didn't matter. She was a Samaritan. And unlike Jesus... The disciples did not affirm her humanity, and they did not affirm the eternal value of her soul. Their hearts were hardened by years of religious traditions and cultural perceptions. How many opportunities have you missed because of your own religious piety? How many opportunities have you missed 
with certain unbelievers because they're just not worth it. Who are your Samaritans? Second, the disciples ignored what Jesus was doing. Let's read verse 31. It says, in the meantime, the disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Because after all, the quicker Jesus eats, the quicker they get out of Samaria, right? Have you ever been frustrated by somebody when you're driving or you're going somewhere and they pull over to help someone with a flat tire? Or they say, oh, this person looks like they need help. And you're like, come on, man, we're getting ready to go to the game. Like, you're holding this up, man. We got to be there. If we could be there by 4 o'clock, we could grab dinner first, right? This attitude makes us lose on two levels. The first level is we lose the joy of being used by God. But we also lose out on what God is doing. Because God is always doing something around us. We need to pay attention to that. Third, the disciples missed the spiritual opportunity right in front of them. This woman in Samaria was ripe for salvation. And all the disciples cared about was getting Jesus some food so they could get out of there. They failed to realize that the real soul-nourishing food was doing God's work and doing the Great Commission. Let's read verse 32 to 34. He says, but he said to them, I have food to each of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has, any was, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. <clears throat> the disciples still didn't get it. They were still wondering about food. And they missed the spiritual opportunity and the spiritual point entirely. But this woman dropped her water pot ran to the town and told everybody about Jesus, while the disciples, in their religious prejudice and cultural dislike for Samaritans, didn't see that spiritual harvest right in front of them. So I ask you again, who are your Samaritans? Who's unworthy to hear the gospel from you? Who's too far gone in your own mind that it's not even worth talking to them? Is it those liberals? Is it the Trumpsters? Is it the black people? Is it the white people? Is it the Muslims? Is it LGBTQ? Who is it? Who's not worthy to even bother? Who's not even worthy? Who's just like, yeah, it's not even worth it, right? Fourth, the disciples failed to see the spiritual harvest ripe in front of them. In verse 35, it says, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Basically, Jesus saying to the disciples, wake up. Look around. Look and see all these non-believers in this one little town of Samaria. But in their blind cultural hatred, they were too blind to see it. They were too blind to rejoice over what God was doing in this town, even though it was right in front of them. The disciples refused to see this harvest. I got a funny story about perspective. 
Because back in the 1600s, 1700s, the West was being one, right? Whatever we want to say. And there's a guy was sent out there to sell work boots. He goes out there and he wires his company back and he says, you know, there's a bad location. Nobody here wears work boots. Send me home. And there was another guy who was out there also selling work boots from another company. And he wired his company back, and he said, this is a great location. Nobody wears work boots. Send me more work boots. Perspective. The disciples saw the Samaritan as not worth their time because they were not Jewish. Jesus saw this group of people and saw that they were ripe to hear the good news and receive salvation. To Jesus, the harvest was at hand. So the question is, I've asked you twice about your Samaritans. Do you see these people as Jesus sees them? Or do you see your Samaritans the way the disciples see them? Should have got on sticky papers. Number five, the disciples failed to realize the important role they had in the harvest. This is verse 36 and 38. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. See, for a spiritual harvest to occur, it takes multiple people and multiple things. Somebody's got to plow, somebody's got to plant, somebody's got to prepare the soil, somebody's got to water the seeds, somebody's got to fertilize the land, somebody's got to warm it with sunlight, somebody's got to tend the garden, and then somebody picks the harvest. See, spiritual farming isn't about doing everything yourself. And stressing out that you didn't convert somebody instantly. We all have a role to play. It's not you who leads somebody to Christ anyways. I don't like that saying, oh, I led this person to Christ. No, you didn't. The Holy Spirit led them to Christ. Our job is just to go. That's the wonderful thing about evangelism is we have zero stress. You have no responsibility for the outcome. That's in God's hands. You just got to go do something. Let me give you a gardening example. Many of you have gardened. You, you, know, you have flowers, plants, whatever. You know, you, you tend it, you water it, you fertilize it, you prune it, you pull the weeds away, you make sure it gets sunlight. You do all these things, right? Did you grow that plant? No. Did you cause that seed to sprout up out of the ground the way it was intended to? No. You helped, but you didn't do that. Did you innately cause it to bear the right fruit? I mean, did you put a seed in the ground and say, you will be tomatoes and you will be cucumbers? No, you put a tomato plant in, and it, right? You didn't make it become a tomato. See, only God can do that. You have a responsibility to tend it, you have a responsibility to help, but you have no responsibility in the outcome. And this is great news for us as Christians. 
This is the Great Commission. Go into the world, preach my gospel to every nation. That's what Jesus said. He did not say, go into the world, preach my gospel to every nation, and you better convert them. It's not what he said. Our role is simply to go. It's simply to water and plant and fertilize. You know, there are statistics. I I like statistics sometimes. It's boring, but I like them. It takes seven times for a person, a non-believer, to hear the good news of Jesus before they commit themselves to Christ. That's the average, seven times. So, are you number one, five, eight, 27? Doesn't really matter. What matters is that you see the harvest, that you're not blinded by your worldviews of those people like the disciples were here in Samaria. Sixth and lastly, the disciples also did not realize how huge the harvest could really be. Verse 39 to 42, it says, As men, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, For we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Two days. Jesus stayed there for two days. If Jesus told the disciples initially, not only are we going through Samaria, but we're going to stay there for two days, the disciples probably would have stayed home. (laughs) What do you think their reaction would have been? But hopefully is they saw Jesus preach and teach and heal and convert these unworthy Samaritans. Their perspectives changed and their hearts changed. I love verse 39. Many of that city believed. And then in verse 41, and many more believed. Jesus shared this truth with one woman. One woman, and many believed, and many more believed. This is the principle of the power of one. One convert led to a city revival. Now, this chapter was hard on the disciples. But here's the good news. As they walked with Jesus, as they grew with Jesus in their knowledge, and then he gave them the great commission before he ascended into heaven to go preach at every nation. The disciples did that. And the apostles that followed did that. And they did it unabandonedly. They did it in no regard for themselves. They did it with fervor. Have you been changed by Jesus' love? Are you born again? Are you saying you're a Christian? Are you saying you're a disciple of Jesus? And the question is, are you like the disciples... In Samaria? Or are you like the disciples after the Great Commission? Are you willing to evangelize and see the harvest right in front of you? Or are you still blind to the people that God put in front of you? I want to read you a story, and I'm going to read this. It's, it's uh, about the power of one. 
Has anybody here, I know it's a Presbyterian church, but has anybody here ever heard of Edward Kimball? Anybody? One per, anyone? All right, one person in this room heard of Edward Kimball. Let me tell you about Edward Kimball. He was a Sunday school teacher. That's what he was. He was a Sunday school teacher. He led a young man named Dwight to Christ. Dwight Moody. He became a blazing evangelist who is said to have led one million souls to Christ. Wilbur Chapman received salvation after talking with Dwight Moody, and, they went, and he went on to become an evangelist himself. And Wilbur Chapman left a drunken baseball player named Billy Sunday to the Lord. Billy Sunday was arguably the, mo the, the most famous evangelist of his day. He started a Christian business group in North Carolina, and they invited Mordecai Ham to Charlotte in 1934. 1934. During one of those business meetings, a young man named Billy Graham was converted. And according to Billy Graham's staff in 1993, which is 30 years ago now, more than two and a half million people had accepted Jesus Christ from the Billy Graham Crusades. Millions of souls can trace their spiritual lineage back to one man, a simple Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. That's the power of one. But are we willing to be obedient disciples of Jesus and actually talk about Jesus? Are we willing to be the 5 to 10 percent, or will we continue to be the quiet 90 percent? Think about that this week, and I hope it, a little bit of conviction, as it sure convicted me. Amen.